what will happen is the SVM will actually start rising pretty fast. And you're seeing this today, Eclipse, Injective Labs, Maker wanting to fork the SVM, Visa expanding to Solana, Rome Protocol, the decentralized shared sequencer, Fire Dancer, right? These things are slowly sneaking up on you. And then until one day, you're going to be like, wait a minute, there's actually a lot of stuff happening here. What happened? What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we have a very special one for you because it's just me and Mert. It's our second roundup episode where we talk about basically the hottest stories going on in crypto and really just like what we care about. So Mert, I think a, a good, easy spot to start is that there's this rumor going around from an SBF trial that Caroline Ellison stated that FTX had access to an on and off switch for Solana. Just curious your thoughts because that's pretty devastating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it's a great exercise in showing maybe the collective IQ of the space and maybe uh, how aggressively false information spreads in such an adversarial environment. So the context of people who are not familiar, which I'd be surprised by if people are unfamiliar at this point, there was a journalist, um, I forget the actual name of the person, but he was talking about, he was reporting on like the Caroline, uh, who's one of the people behind FTX, Caroline's hearing and one of the guys like a troll account a parody account on Twitter changed his profile picture to be matching the journalists so that you can't you it would be hard to tell them apart and then he tweeted something like uh he was mimicking Caroline and was like well you know yeah like we had like an off switch for Solana and then obviously Bitcoin maxis and certain compromised individuals quote tweeted it treating it such that FTX did have an off switch for Solana and obviously what people didn't understand was that it's a parody account that was just trolling everybody. Um, and uh, of course, you would think that media organizations like Decrypt would do some due diligence such that they wouldn't be caught up with such silly uh, rumors. But, uh, you know, I guess we were, we were a little too uh, optimistic there. And, and what's more interesting is um, Jacob, who is one of the leads of developer relations at Solana. So Solana has had this bug bounty for like, years i think dating back to 2021 and this is very common in software right like if you built a system you have bug bounties such that hey if you can break something we give you money for it right so that so that you're incentivizing the community to kind of get paid for analyzing your code base mm -hmm. and so jacob tweeted that like oh hey like he was kind of trolling he's like you know if, if you guys actually think you can here's a 400k uh a bounty and then D what gcrypt does is they take this and they say Solana Foundation releases a new bounty program. Uh, rumors of a new in in the face of the rumors of a new kill switch. And I was like, oh my <laughs> goodness, I cannot believe these people are this stupid. Uh, and and uh, anyways, after we yelled at them pretty aggressively, they did they did take down the tweet uh, and the post. They issued a recorrection. Um, and then actually, the guy who made the original parody post, I, I forget his name. I think it's like awful Jesse or something. Uh, his his handle. <laughs> He couldn't believe it himself. He, he was laughing. He's like, oh, my God, they, they actually quoted me. And then I was like, man, you know, just thank you for exposing the collective IQ of the space. And he's like, my pleasure. <laughs> he's, like, I did, he's like, I did not think that people would blindly trust what they just saw on the Internet. <laughs> so, like, even he was surprised. But, you know, that goes to show you uh, crypto is a very uh, noisy field and you really need to tune your information sources as much as possible.
Yeah, there was another tweet that came out today saying that BlackRock's ETF was approved, which was patently false. I think that was Cointelegraph who later came out and they like edited their tweet and they said reportedly. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, like you said, both news outlets did come back and say like we retract the statement. Mer, I'm curious, this has been a, a big thing in Solana, I would say probably since the network instability, but probably even before that, that there's been a lot of fake news and FUD. And I think that's one reason that you've stood up and become basically a spokesperson for Solana. Can you maybe talk about that and just how important you think that is to not only Solana, but just communities in general? So the the rumor about the chill switch actually highlights something pretty interesting. Uh, and I actually thought it could even be maybe bullish for the network. And what it highlights is that no matter how stupid or unbased a piece of information about Solana is, it will spread, right? Just because of people's kind of pre-existing notions or biases, right? And so if something as blatantly absurd as Caroline having a kill switch for Solana propagates as truth in news networks, you can kind of see like, wait a minute, did those outages really happen, right? Did Solana really have 15 outages? And it's like, of course it didn't have 15 outages, right? Uh, and did, you know, uh, X happen? Like you can kind of generalize this to any other event. Now that's not to say that nothing happened. Obviously FTX and Solana did have uh, relations at the very, very beginning of Solana's life cycle. But I mean, obviously, those are also super exaggerated. And so what it goes to show you is a lot of the, what you heard about Solana in the past year, maybe even two years, has just been complete noise, right? Like Solana has not had 15 outages. In fact, Jump Crypto released a report, uh, right? Like nobody really knows Solana's engineering reliability efforts better than Solana Labs and Jump Crypto, right? The who's working on Fire Dancer. And there was a report outlining the exact cause of the past three or four outages now um, and, and why they happened, what steps have been taken to fix it. The rest weren't outages, right? Maybe there were performance degradations or maybe the TPS slowdown and, and whatnot. But uh, that's just, you know, that's just outages is just one thing. But the reason why I started speaking out last year or maybe even two years ago now is because I just saw a lot of this, right? And and so I was at Coinbase, of course, and I knew, for example, uh, one of my favorite examples is a, a guy named Justin Bonds. I think two years ago, released a Twitter thread, which got thousands of likes. And it was something along the lines of Solana has fraudulent design patterns because it has deterministic block creation, which is to say that you you can figure out ahead of time who in the network is going to propose the next block. Right. And he, he called that fraudulent design. Now, being an engineer myself, I knew that actually many other proof of stake networks have this exact mechanism. In fact, ETH2 also has the same mechanism, right? Ethereum itself. And it seemed like the media or whatever people on Twitter are painting it such that, well, actually, only Solana is like this, therefore it's fraudulent. And so I just started every time I saw one of those, I was like, this is super unfair to the people working in this network, right? These people are putting sacrifice. I mean, doing a startup is no easy task, right? They're working hard. They're sacrificing a lot of shit and they're working as hard as they can to build the future of this network. And then they're just getting kind of swamped down by these unfounded rumors from everybody, right? And, and like the problem is they are unfounded rumors. Like if they were true, it's like, okay, then let's have a discussion. And totally does this all the time, by the way. Right. And is actually informed his design of the network and, and the other core engineers. But like the other low hanging stuff, which is the low IQ stuff, let's say, I like to kind of uh, tackle those because I have nothing better to do. 
And <laughs> for example, like now most of those people actually don't really say those anymore because they've kind of learned over time that actually, wait, no, that's not really true. And so, you know, it's, it's just kind of goes back to like Peter Thiel's thing. It's like, you have to continuously question your assumptions, like always rethink what you think, you know, due to somebody else's misinterpretation of history, right? Look at the facts yourself, think for yourself, make your own conclusions, right? That is especially important in crypto when everybody's kind of going off of, oh, well, I heard this happened or I heard X happened. It's like what you heard is probably almost certainly false. It's just a giant game of telephone, right? And so anyway, that is all to say, everybody, please just think more independently. I think it's a really good sign, actually, that Solana does get all this attention and, I mean, hate. Not that you really want that, but I would say there's not a lot of people talking about SWE or talking about Aptos or all the L2s outside of Arbitrum and Optimism, and that's just because they don't really have a strong community and there's not that much going on. I don't know what a lot of the Solana community thinks about Eclipse and Neil Samani. It's probably split 50-50, but it's been one of the first times I've seen Ethereum community talk about the SVM in a positive way. And you'll hear Neil talk about the improvements that Solana's put in to get rid of those network issues that it had. And I think the Ethereum community actually listens to that. So it's like, in a way, Eclipse is that bridge. I mean, TBD on what that means. We have John Charbonneau coming on tomorrow. It's going to be a big topic conversation. I'm um, just talking about the extension of the SVM. I think it's mm -hmm. very positive for the Solana community. And, and look, like being in a bear market, the only people left are the ones that are super passionate about what they're working on. They're not passionate about the applications on top necessarily, which is what users will care about. And on that, Mer, I'd like to talk about, I think you're, you're, um, I don't know if you're a judge or you're working on one of the hackathons in Solana right now. And you put out a tweet the other day talking about that a lot of these startups are, say the problem they're solving and what the solution is, but they don't talk about distribution and go to market. I'd love for you to expand your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. So first, maybe take a step back on the SVM stuff. Yeah, I mean, I personally am very excited about more propagation of the SVM. Uh, I think there's some short-term thinking going on that makes it such that people are kind of against it like okay like it might maybe uh fragment liquidity let's say or or talent but i think that's like very like one to you two year time horizon thinking if you spread out over five to ten years which i hope everybody who is in this industry believes that it will be around for another five to ten years then i think it's super interesting because you know that's that's how open source technology works right you have different groups of people working on improving certain parts of it and then it propagates you get more mind share and developers and that's how you improve a decentralized system and an open source one, right? And so I think, just as an aside, I think that's a very great development. Um, okay, so my tweet. Um, yeah, I've been talking to a lot of VCs for, for my own company for the past two weeks. But then also, um, I, I am a judge in, in Solana, the Hyperdrive Hackathon. And I've also hosted a few hackathons myself uh, and have been a judge in, in, in multiple others. And I also angel invest. And basically... All that is to say, uh, I've seen you know a good amount of decks, uh, specifically from Solana um, um, founders, because that's you know I like to specialize in that. And um, kind of one theme that I, I realized, or like maybe pattern matched after seeing so many, is they're kind of always relatively similar, in that they'll kind of talk about the problem, uh, and then they'll talk about the solution. They'll talk about how the solution works. They'll talk about maybe the competition. And then they'll talk about um, usually it's maybe the team and maybe what the what the who the team is, but it's usually a non people and like random other stuff like that. And basically, it just I, I was thinking, how come nobody ever talks about right? Like 
you, I, you have told me what you're working on and you're telling me why it's a problem, why, how you're going to solve it, but you're not telling me about half of the picture, which is, okay, once you have built the tech, how will you get it in the hands of users, right? This is what all technical people, or not all technical people, but most technical people kind of forget or maybe overlook, or maybe just don't put as much emphasis on it as, as possible. And Peter Thiel has kind of a good, uh, uh, in, in the book Zero to One, has a good phrase on this, which is like, like distribution is something that has to be intrinsically baked into the product, right? It's not product and then distribution. They're the same thing. Like you have to, you don't have a product unless you also have distribution, right? If, uh, uh, if, if you build something great, some some people in in tech believe that if you build something great and then they will come okay but who is they right like how and how are they coming how will you how will they know about this right people just kind of overlook that part and that's actually a much harder problem of course right uh, or maybe i don't want to say it's a much harder problem depending on the industry right if you're in very deep tech then actually the tech will be harder but maybe if it's like SaaS and you're building like something on top of existing infrastructure with high margins Okay, then it's like, why should people care, right? A sales and marketing motion intrinsically baked in is super important. And um, it just gets neglected a lot. For example, I think I think a good example is liquid death, right? Everybody's seen uh, that random weird canned water, right? Okay, like if you just have a pitch deck and the product is, well, we're going to just can water. And then the solution or like the problem is, well, because there's no canned water or something, or like maybe the environment uh, doesn't uh, like plastic bottles too much. It's like, okay, but like 90% of that specific business is your brand, your marketing. How are you going to get into the hands of people? Can it go viral? How are you going to get your first 100 users? How are you going to get into the hands of stores or enterprises? And I'm not saying you have to have all this figured out, of course, right? Because most pre-seed seed companies just won't. And it's something you generally figure out. But you should put some thought on it at the very least, like outline like, Here's our go-to-market or like one of our founders is actually going to be focused on this, right? And then uh, one other thing that's that I find interesting is uh, a very common critique that I get to this or maybe a common solution that, I, that people tell me is that, well, like technical founders should hire professional marketers, right? And uh, first of all, if like it, it doesn't sound bad at first, but then you think about it, right? Like... It is your product. You are the founder or you're the founding team. And the, the way a, a company founding works is you see a problem on the market and you're saying, no, no, I'm going to do it better. I know a solution for this. And then you have to be able to communicate that, right? That's how you recruit people. That's how you raise money. That's how you get customers. You cannot figure, you cannot just hire some random person and be like, market this for me, right? Because first of all, if they can do that, they should be part of the founding team. That's half the company already, Right. Like, why would they just do that? And second, if you are not able to communicate, okay, for example, Elon Musk, right? Probably nobody better than Elon is doing this. Elon is famous for saying, we don't spend any money on advertising, right? Okay, but they don't spend money on advertising because Elon has an insane earned media brand on his own, right? People listen to what he says all the time. And he's able to sell the vision of a future with electric cars, a future with Neuralink, right? He's able to sell that very, very well. Right. It's not like targeted advertising on Facebook is a different kind of selling, but it's selling nonetheless. I think same with Tolly, right? One of the reasons people like Solana is literally because Tolly's like a down-to-earth, cool guy that just thinks about distributed systems tech in an open way. 
right? He's actually, when he does that, he's not doing it on purpose, but he is basically marketing Solana, right? He's saying, this is what we stand for. We like talking and nerding out about low level systems engineering in a, in a cool way. We like, like chatting about this stuff. If you like it, yeah. <laughs> if, if you like it, then you'll probably like kind of being in this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that's an, and that's like a form of marketing, right? What you can't do is just say, shh, coming soon, and then just fuck off in your corner and then wait for people to find out about you, right? That's not going to work. Anyway, that's that's kind of my rant. I like your example with Liquid Death. I think there's a few rumors of like the origin story of that. But the one that I've heard is that the founder was going around essentially to these different rock concerts. You have rock bands on stage and they're all drinking. They're all sponsored by these like Red Bulls and Monsters and these energy drinks. And it's 100 degrees outside and he goes up to him and he's like, how the hell are you on stage drinking these energy drinks all day? Like you're not having a heart attack. And they're like, this is just water. So the energy drink companies are sending them those cans. They're putting water in it. And I, I think... It's interesting in the in the sense that one reason that Liquid Death has gotten so popular is they went into music venues, including um, big concerts with like rappers and also ACL and music festivals. And it looks almost like a beer can. And as silly as it says, like water is a commoditized product, right? So it's all about the branding that you have on top. But it's like, what can we uniquely be good at? And for them, it's like one is you have this can that you actually feel cool again with water because no one wants to Dasani water as they're walking around a music festival. And yeah. I'm, I'm somehow tying this into we had an interview with Antonio from DYDX. And I thought it was really interesting. It stuck with me. It's a framework. You often hear that a product has to be 10 times better for someone else to use it. But it's not necessarily that the product has to be 10 times better in every way. Just it needs to be 10 times better in one or two functions. So it's like, what feature am I specifically 10 times better at that will make people want to use my product? And for them, he's like, that could be transparency in crypto. Like a lot of the times we're trying to get around that, like people want their data private. But he's like, we can actually lean into that. That's one thing that makes FriendTech so cool is you can actually see all the different keys that your friends own, et cetera. And he's like, I want to lean into that further. So I think that's an interesting thing as well for these crypto founders mm -hmm. to think of is like what uniquely about crypto makes my product better because mm -hmm. it's very hard to be 10 times better in every aspect against some type of centralized application. But I think mm -hmm. if you lean into what crypto uniquely enables, you can actually do that. Yeah. And uh, again, I'm sure to keep quoting Peter Thiel, but uh, it is one of my favorite books that I've read quite a few times. And one of the things he says is like, you can build a monopoly or like an unfair advantage with just distribution alone, but the same is not true for tech. As in like, if you build the greatest tech ever, it's gonna be hard for you to build a monopoly with that alone, but you can do it with distribution. And maybe a good example of that is Oracle, right? Who Whose tech is not very good, but they are everywhere because they have really good distribution and a sales function. And, um, and maybe it's sort of semantics in, in some way, but that's kind of what I mean by like the product and the distribution are kind of intrinsically linked. Like I, I can't, the way I think of it isn't decoupled such that like, okay, well you built something 10X product and then now you have to add distribution. It's like, you probably built that intrinsically with it. Like for example, PayPal, when they first started, one of the reasons they went viral was because they just gave people $5 for, for referrals, right? Uh, get code kind of did the same thing. Uh, it, it's a very, and friend tech, right? Friend tech's go to market gets overlooked, right? People, because uh, people have tried social tokens before and it didn't really work. And like, Frontech is a great example of that. Like when the and, and I like Racer by the way, but like when the when the app first came out, it, it didn't really work. <laughs> like it, it was a bad app. <laughs> uh, it was it was it was it was sluggish and 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 it would disappear on you. But they had a really good go to market, which is exclusive invite codes. Um, and like it created kind of a sense of like allure of the product, what's going on here. And they timed it well, right? That is exactly what we mean by go to market. They went to market 
with a product that probably wasn't the best. It obviously improved over time, but they timed it really well with a good strategy. And that's, as you can see, it clearly was more important than the actual product. I think since then, better products that function, in my view, have come out, but not with the same brand and distribution that they've had, which is ultimately what gives you that entire package. And, and so even in crypto, and like the Antonio example is a great one, right? It doesn't have to be 10x better in every way. It just maybe just, you just need one unique insight, okay? You just need one unique insight that other people don't have. That's it. You don't need anything else. It can even be just who you're selling the product to, right? Maybe front tech, maybe there's a different version of it where it's only for professionals or something, right? Uh, obviously, I, I can't predict great business ideas before they happen, but uh, you just need one insight that other people are overlooking. That doesn't necessarily need to be product. It can just be go-to-market and distribution. Um, so I think this, since crypto is such a technical field with so many like smart people who are like geeking out about the low-level tech, the other side of the equation gets overlooked a lot because we have a lot of like cypherpunk type folks, which is great, obviously. But for, for the industry to take off fully in like a five to 10-year time horizon, we do need to apply the lessons the tech industry itself has learned in its last 20 years from Silicon Valley, right? We can't just, it'd be silly for us to just totally ignore that. I, th I think a cool example of that too is YouTube, who YouTube wasn't the first company to try to basically have people upload videos to one site. I think they're later on the game, but a big part of their success was going from dial up to broadband um, and just being able to actually have those videos load at a high speed. But the other one is I think they were the first company that actually allowed you to post your YouTube videos on other websites. So there was this fear that if if we allow our videos to be embedded in a certain website, then that's going to take away from people being brought into our site directly. And it's like we're going to lose advertising money, et cetera. But YouTube was the first one that actually allowed this. They basically built distribution to the product by allowing you to have a link that would embed it into your website. And then you could still serve ads and then people would click on the video eventually and it would actually bring those people to YouTube. So that was a huge part of their success. Um, so mm -hmm. there's no doubt that that crypto does does lack in distribution a bit and that brand is going to be huge as a lot of this software is open source, can be forked. So you can see how easily that plays into this. One thing maybe to touch on is we have Joel Monegro coming on next week. He's at Placeholder Capital. And mm -hmm. he had this piece that came out on Ethereum and Solana talking about iOS and Android. It just caught my attention is because even though we've talked about Solana has gotten a lot of fun over the last year, now you're, you're seeing some of the biggest VCs in the space and also just people talk about Solana and Ethereum like side by side a lot, which yeah. to me is usually a good sign. Um, a lot of that piece had to do with vertically integrated like Apple versus modular systems, something like Android. Is there anything that resonated with you, Mark? Because I know you talk about like monolithic versus integrated chains. So I'm curious what you thought about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to see VCs and other like thinkers in the space, uh, you know, being kind of outspoken about this. And, uh, you know, I, I've made similar analogies for the past, you know, year and a half to uh, sometimes Android versus uh, uh, iOS, but also, you know, maybe like an AWS versus DigitalOcean or uh, AWS versus UCP or, uh, uh, you know, Unix versus, versus Windows. So there's a bunch of different software analogies. Um, one thing that really I don't get about the ecosystem uh, is, is kind of, if you think about maybe the history of capital markets or, or free markets, right? Free markets as in no corruption, and especially markets in the context of technology. I have never seen a piece of technology that has been like 95% of the market and people are betting on it to keep growing in the next five to 10 years and in terms of absolute market share or relative market share, right? Even Google search hadn't, didn't have that dominance, right? Even Windows didn't have that dominance for long. Yet, 
and obviously the parallel here is EVM. EVM is about 95% of the market, let's say, in terms of development stacks. Yet people seem to think that it's going to keep being 95% perpetually and actually keep growing. And uh, I think the much safer statistical bet, given all of, let's say, markets and, and just how capitalism and competitive markets work, is that, well, you know, I'm not betting that the SVM or maybe something like the Move VM takes over the EVM. But I am betting with 100% conviction that it is extremely under-indexed on and the market is asymmetric, right? That is to say, it's not going to be the case that 5% of the market is SGM and move combined and then 95% is EVM perpetually over a 10-year time horizon. Like that's just never happened. And what I am saying is probably what will happen is the SVM will actually start kind of rising pretty fast. And you're kind of seeing this today anyways, right? Eclipse, Injective Labs, Sovereign uh, Sovereign Labs as well, Maker wanting to fork the SVM, Visa expanding to Solana, uh, Rome Protocol, the decentralized shared sequencer, uh, Fire Dancer, right? These things are slowly sneaking up on you. And then until one day, you're going to be like, wait a minute, there's actually a lot of stuff happening here. What happened? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, it, this kind of goes back to our earlier point about kind of noise distortion fields. But um, I like the EVM and I think it'll always be around. But I just don't see how the EVM could possibly be 95% of the market perpetually, right? That has never happened in capitalism, in a free market at least, uh, for any piece of tech. Like you can even see Google searches dominance going down over time. And that's like actually really, really great, great tech. And you can even argue that the SGM and Move VM are actually just objectively better pieces of technology than the EVM anyways, right? Like they are, it's not like they're just worse with better distribution. It's like, no, no, they are actually are better tech and now they're getting distribution through the modular thesis of blockchains as well. Um, and anyways, that's, that's number one. And then number two, something that I think people kind of overlook is this, this modular versus integrated or, you know, formerly known as monolithic, uh, but we're going to keep calling it integrated because it's a better name. Uh, what people overlook about this is, is that like integrated chains are still modular, right? Like, and what I mean by that is it's not like, it's just one giant brick inside. It's like, no, 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 they're still modular. Like they have different components with different uh, maybe core teams internally working on them. It's just all integrated into like a single message bus, let's say, right? So it's still modular. It's just they don't outsource certain stuff. And then the modular thesis does that, which is fine. But it's not to say that one is obviously better than the other. They have trade-offs, right? In the history of software, it's always this, right? Any Any kind of topic of contention, there's always trade-offs. And so, you know, I'm thinking that the noise distortion field from earlier really plays a big role in this. But I think uh, integrated technologies throughout history have shown very, very uh, high degrees of success. So have some modular stacks as well. So that is to say they both work. And so it's kind of silly to assume that one just will not work and that the other one will just win, as people like to say all the time, like, oh, L2s have won. It's like, sorry, what have they won? We have like five users on chain. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's time to declare victory laps. Let's just keep working on it. Uh, you do your trade-offs, we do our trade-offs, and we just build stuff. It does feel like there's a bit of a narrative shift, in my opinion. Like at one point, it's we're going to have a thousand to or a thousand maybe. We're going to have a million app chains, and they're going to be sovereign rollups or modular architecture. And you see more and more people talking about, okay, well, 
maybe that is a little bit of far-fetched and there's usually a power law outcome and you know you have a you have eclipse over there saying like look we actually tried to do basically what they call a ras like roll up as a service offering but we saw that that's not exactly sustainable and a lot of apps don't need their own app chain they don't need this modular framework instead we're just going to have R1 general purpose L2 that everyone else should build on top of, except, you know, you have people like DYDX and there's a reason that works. Like a big part of that is they have one piece of collateral, which is USDC, which is very easy to do the bridging there and look into that. But I do think that's something that's changing and, and talking about modular, like you even see that in the Solana community. At first, Solana was all about bringing like the NASDAQ on chain. But then I think this is summer 2021, you saw the NFT community take off. Basically, I'm trying to break down is like, yeah, people call it monolithic, integrated, et cetera. But you, it truly is modular, not only at a technological level, but also the communities inside of it. And it can support all these different applications as well, which I think at the end of the day, if Solana only was NASDAQ on chain to me, that'd be a bit of a disappointment. So I really love to see these different like verticals popping up within the community. And one of those is Deepin, um, which was one of our episodes, I think like two weeks ago with the buy. And mm -hmm. what I really appreciate about that, which is something we keep talking about over and over, is that for crypto to work, like the on and off ramps is such a big piece of that. And Deepin could be the unlock for that in the sense that it has to do with RWAs, real world assets, which is, I would say there's a theme on Twitter right now, like, is RWAs, is that a real thing? Like, or does that just compromise crypto completely? I think Deepin is an example where people are like, this is something that you can uniquely only do with crypto to incentivize like this collaboration, these networks. But on top of that, these, this community gets paid in crypto. So it's an on-ramp without having to go through like a centralized entity. And similar to what I talked about in Venmo, I didn't hook up my Venmo to a bank account for the first like six months. People just started paying me for after I paid for dinner, et cetera. And that, and that started building up over time. And eventually I actually just wanted to use that app to then pay other people. And I saw how valuable that app was. I think the same thing can happen through something like Deepin and Abide talks on that. So to me, I wouldn't doubt that that's a big narrative going into the next cycle. And if it's not Deepin, we need something else. And, I, and a lot of people talk about gaming to be the other source of that. But to me, I think that's going to be a huge focus is how do you have an on and off ramp outside of just something like Coinbase, which is great to have, but you want to have people paid on chain for something and it needs to be for something useful. It doesn't need to be like, just because you came to our L2, we're going to give you an airdrop. To me, that's people are just going to dump that and it's not going to add a lot of value. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I especially like your point about, you know, uh, it started, Solana started as kind of NASDAQ on chain and maybe attracted some of the finance types, but then NFTs happened kind of, and I think, I mean, totally for sure didn't expect that. Uh, from from what I know about Tolly and, and his past tweets, and um, it's there's a weird I irony here because as as you have a global state machine, you're able to support different use cases that are not composable, and then maybe there's different communities that form within there, which actually might help you with modularity at, in the end, anyways, right? Like um, NFT compression, that's like a core primitive to Solana, really state compression. That really resulted as a result of NFT minting being expensive. And it's like a core piece of infrastructure that basically is enshrined onto the RPC spec itself now, right? Because something that the modular uh, proponents will say is like, well, you can't explore or, or like innovate in, in parallel with different parts of the stack. And it's like, I know this to not be the case because obviously Helix is an infrastructure company. And we work with other teams who are doing exactly that. And that's why compression was able to. Uh, uh, come on chain so fast because it's in an integrated system the communications overhead is less right you don't have to work with team x who you never really talk to and agree on these kind of uh communications overhead and so i think that's a that's a really good point and um yeah deep in and and like okay so like what are, what are the use cases for for the next cycle right maybe maybe as an overall theme uh yeah deep in is really uh i think like one of the Best things about Deepin is that people can actually earn crypto natively 
on chain, right? Like you said, you don't have to first get a bank account, transfer to Coinbase, do the conversion, get KYC, go on chain, right? Instead, no, no, no. It's like you participate in the crypto network, you earn crypto directly. That's it. And 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 you can do anything you want. Your friction is reduced. And um, I think there's definitely something interesting there. I think gaming, I mean, we had that episode with Ryan. Um, I think, you know, the jury's still out on that one. I think it can go either way. I think there's obviously very good use cases. Um, and then there's maybe some not good use cases. I'm not really an expert in gaming to judge. One thing that I am excited about personally is social. Um, I think I really do think social will be the next big unlock. Like, I don't think we've seen really an innovation in social for like, I don't know, a very long time. I mean, unless you consider TikTok social, I mean, which, which kind of is. Um, but I think there's a, an interesting design space that hasn't really been explored there. Uh, and by the way, you can see this with threads, right? Like uh, Facebook's uh, or, or Meta's Twitter clone. When it when they went to when they when they went live, it was all the kind of buzz for like five days, and then bam! Like I, I haven't heard mm-hmm. of it since, right? And so there's a very interesting opportunity there for a startup to come in, right? Because like who knows how to run social media better than Zuck and Meta? Probably nobody, right? Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, but even they couldn't crack the next thing of social, right? And so then that what that tells me is maybe there's actually a really interesting opportunity for an approach that hasn't been tried, maybe something like a friend tech and kind of the intersection of crypto uh, uh, and, and social, that could be really interesting. Um, I know, for example, that basically the only app I've used in crypto other than like a multi-sig in like the past month, right? Uh, so that alone is pretty encouraging in some ways and in some ways it's kind of depressing. <laughs> uh, but but uh, I think I think social has a pretty big chance. You just, but, but like another big part of social which goes back to our earlier point is like, especially in social. And I saw a few social pitches on the on the decks. They talk about like, you know, maybe like traditional forums like Reddit, for example, underpay moderators or don't pay them at all, and maybe it's censorship resistance and what uh, or or censorship prone and whatnot. It's like okay, true, but how are you going to get them to use your platform instead? Right? You haven't told me that, and that's almost and that's actually by far the most important part. How are you going to get those communities on your thing? Are you going to target a specific community, right? Like maybe what Twitch did, because Twitch was at first Justin.tv and they were letting people stream all types of content. And then they realized, wait a minute, the gamers and people who stream their games are particularly engaged. Let's double down on that, right? So like, and another thing that I say in the tweet is like, your TAM, your total addressable market is not $50 trillion. And everybody kind of like in their deck says like, oh, our market is like a bajillion dollars. And it's like, no, no, that's a huge red flag. <laughs> mm-hmm. What you want to tell show investors is you have a very specific market that you are uniquely positioned to take advantage of. And then when you land there, you can then expand to other markets. But you can't just say you're going to take over the entire world with your pre-seed round. Right? You can't do that. And so, again, go to market is a theme that kind of always comes up. And, and it just I really encourage people to um, maybe read like Zero to One by Peter Thiel uh, and, and Blake Masters. Um, you know, even just talk to chat GPT, ask, ask it to recommend you books about it. Uh, read some, uh, uh, Seth Godin's like market, this is marketing blog. Just try to get some of a feel for that space. If you're, if you're a technical co- uh, founder in, in crypto.
Yeah, I'll be curious in crypto with social, how big the the market needs to be, because it's it's going to be different in my mind than something like Twitter, where it's relatively massive and you need a ton of people like Facebook, for example, so you can get advertising money to come on your platform because that's how they actually monetize. Whereas in crypto, whether it's micropayments or more to do with subscriptions, you may not need that many people. It could be a bit more like a SaaS business where it doesn't have to be massive just because of how the like monetization structure is made, because I think it's going to be really hard to compete and like take off Twitter's users. But I do think you could get like a niche of 10,000 100,000, whatever it might be, people, and they're actually willing to pay for that product beyond something just with ads. We have the Z Prime guys coming on, Maddie and Fisk, this week. They do a lot on social, so it's going to be a really good conversation. One thing that I did think is interesting that now looking at it, it's very obvious is that social in some contexts, like social media, has become more asocial in the sense that, like, you used to have Twitter, Facebook, and you only really followed your friends. Well, Facebook, it was only people at your university, and then it ended up building up from then. And then Facebook was still like people you only knew. And then you got LinkedIn and eventually people are like, okay, maybe I can get 10,000 followers. I don't actually have to know these people. And then you have something like TikTok where it's not about your friend graph at all. It, like there's no social graph. It has to do with just like what is popular? What is the content that everyone's listening to? And it's really not about friends at all. So it's gotten more asocial over time, which means like, your friend graph is maybe not as important as it used to be. And so they use that to say like, okay, how does crypto play into this? Because crypto is financial, like natively, it just inherently is about financial mechanisms, you're probably going to have social and e-commerce be tied together. And that's going to be where you see the most successful apps. It's going to have to have some type of com commerce built in because that is like mm -hmm. the key component of crypto that actually separates it from everything else. Yeah, I think the asocial kind of insight there is an interesting one. Uh, it's something I, I guess now that it's articulated, I can maybe pattern match on my own social media venture, let's say. I obviously started my Twitter with none of my friends uh, from existing networks on it. And uh, I basically just gained followers and started following people and made friends of all people who I don't know, right? I think maybe there's maybe like 10 people who I know from before Twitter who follow me on, on Twitter. Everybody else is just completely people. I have no idea uh, who, who they were or who they are. Uh, and everybody, including really this show, uh, all happens through Twitter. And so there's something super powerful about that part of networks as well, where you can form connections that you just didn't have before in an internet native way. And I, th I think that's pretty cool. I didn't, yeah. uh, it, I didn't know they actually articulated that way, but, uh, you see it with uh, threads, like, like threads is your friend group, right? Like it's, or at least originally it's taking your Instagram friends and it's bringing it to threads and sure it was, it grew extremely fast, but it hasn't worked yet. So it's like, maybe, maybe that's not where the value is going to accrue. Um, but we'll have to see. I think the last point that they do talk about, I think it's interesting is a lot of people talk about how crypto, you can like port your friend graph over because an example is like, you can be on Instagram. You can't bring those friends to Twitter. Like you're locked into the platform. They're like, well, one, maybe that doesn't really matter because media is going more asocial. Um, and then the last piece of that is that your username, your wallet address, your ENS, you know, what, what is the ENS in Solana? I should know this. Is it like SNS? SNS. Yeah. SNS. Good guess. On FIDA. That then becomes the platform. And then these applications that are built on top, something like FriendTech, they're just really about discovery and creating cool experiences because now you actually have your data that anybody can index, right? And when anybody can index it, these applications that are social media, they don't really have a moat at that point because right now the moat is that friend group, that that graph that you have, that data. Um, but eventually that'll go away. So the way to really create something that's going to stand apart as a social media app in crypto is you almost have to add in like real world identifiers outside of just crypto itself for a lot of these apps because then you can actually make that moat, which will be more difficult otherwise. Um, this might be a little bit random, but I did tweet this, tweet this out the other day. 
And I think it resonated with a lot of people. You hear a lot of ETH versus soul debate and what is money, what is not money, and what the focus is. And I said that ETH has a focus on scarcity. Solana is a focus on abundance. And then you have Cosmos, which is a focus on governance. And I was like, if you're going to look at all three of those, what are the two bets I want to make? And I would say on the scarcity component and on the abundance. I think it's a lot harder for people to imagine what something like soul would be like from a monetary premium perspective, because abundance is not something that we've even had for a long time. Um, that's to sound like too intellectual because I'm definitely not, but like not until 1995 really in the internet did we even have something that was like abundance, right? Crypto for the first time brought value onto the internet. And now it's like, how can something like that actually accrue value when it's not just based on some economics, scarcity, you know, the burn now that we have this in ETH. I'm curious, do you think this debate's even worth having. It's just weird to me. There's a lot of hate on both sides. I think ETH has a valuable path that they're taking to something that has value. It's obviously worked at this point. It's like 300 billion market cap. I think Solana's is quite different, but I did hear even Anatoly, who often talks about like soul to him is not money. He's like, right, this is almost like civil resistance. Soul does get used in other ways, for example, like in the propagation protocol. But he was on a podcast on Validated and he talked about, okay, yeah, Solana is creating the optimal execution environment. But once you've built that and you actually have that network, you naturally will have things like settlement take place within Solana itself. And he's like, a lot of those features and that overlap creates something of value, which is Sol, and creates that monetary premium. What are your general thoughts on, on that debate and just Sol's focus on abundance? So I think ultimately, maybe it's the way I think about it. And this is just how I think about it. I don't claim it's the right one and it's probably impossible to tell anyways uh you know i always like thinking about time horizons right like how long is are you looking out into the future for uh and and you know my time horizon is at least 10 years and uh even with just general tech startups or start or companies you just don't generally want to optimize for margins and profits before you have figured out the demand and, and product side right that'll just limit you um, I mean, Amazon is famous for this, right? Amazon did not optimize for profit margins. They, in fact, they did loss leaders like same day delivery for Prime, which people kind of were, you know, trolling Jeff Bezos about. But I think he he knew a little thing or two about business, uh, and and so it's 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 a, it's a thing that happens all the time in in general tech, and um, you know, I'm not going to comment that much on Ethereum's uh, burn mechanism if they think that that works for them. Um, you know, they would certainly know better than me about Ethereum. But what I will say is the way the, I think maybe the way that Solana thinks about it, maybe some of the Solana community, and by the way, not everybody in the Solana community thinks this way. Uh, so that is important to note. Um, but I think it's just like create an environment where it's as easy as possible to build applications that leverage physics and kind of this network as much as possible. Right, without limiting them with restrictive stuff like cost and fees and and, and whatnot. Uh, well, I mean, actually, you offload that that cost to maybe indexing companies and RPC companies, which is a different thing. But at the end of the day, the value comes from people actually being able to have access to a global community computer, a world computer with composable state. The state is really the interesting part there, right? And once you have that, once you have other apps kind of connecting to it and you've kind of formed this like fertile land, which there's different like structures built on top of it, it's like, okay, then maybe you can look at different, uh, maybe then you're like, okay, wait a minute, the economics maybe won't work forever. Can we tweak it? And by the way, ETH did the same thing, right? ETH1559, 
it's not like that was just there from day one, right? It took what six years at least. Uh, so it's just weird to me to. I, I think it's totally fine that ETH choose to pursue a different design when it comes to this than Solana, and I think neither is right. What I don't like is when uh, people from other ecosystems are like, Sol is definitely doing it wrong. Our ways is the only right way this is possible, right? That's just really annoying. Like mm. you do not know this. You do not have, you're not a, uh, the Oracle of Delphi where you can just see 10 years into the future and like, oh yeah, this was obviously right. It's like, if you think that, then you're kind of saying two things, right? You're saying one, you guys are stupid. I know much better than you and I how the future will play out, right? And then two, you're saying my way is definitely the right way, right? And those are just very strong claims. Uh, and and it, they're also incompatible with a good amount of tech history. And so all that is to say, I think tokenomics can be figured out and economic models can be figured out much easier than the more fundamental problem in crypto, which is how do we make things people want, right? And building applications that people use, right? Because if they're not going to use these, even when the fees are like basically non-existent on Solana, then we have a different problem, right? That then I'm not sure if crypto matters in ten years, anyways. So that's kind of. But again, I want to make, make be clear here. I think most people on Solana even disagree with me on this, right? Mm. Uh, I think maybe some people uh, uh, or most people really don't like the way I think about this, which is fine. I'm I'm always wrong, but uh, this is kind of what, what I believe. I was about to say that's from both sides. It's a little bit like sports teams. You know what? Cheer for your team. But I think that there's more than one. You know, the opposite of a good idea can also be a good idea. Um, it's a concept I got from Roy Sutherland. A little bit tangential, but he's talking about he was selling this product and it was supposed to be extremely simple. It was a new like feature that they were releasing. So when he got hired, they had this like three page description of what this new feature was. And he's like, look, if this is so simple, why is this not just like three paragraphs? Right. And it, because by three paragraphs, you're saying like, this is actually simple, easy to understand. We don't need to say anything more. Good idea. Right. That actually convinces people like, OK, I can trust you here. But the opposite of that is, OK, if you do a paper that is three pages, people are like, OK, they really thought this out. They have a lot of detail here. It's also a good idea. And the whole point is like just because Solana has one path and Ethereum has the other doesn't mean either is wrong. So I just think it's fun. I, I like the Solana path because it's a lot more fun um, yeah. when you're talking when you're talking about actually like getting users. I think something that is not talked about a lot that we had in our Kane episode that's worth going into is that permissionless front ends, because I do think maybe we're early for this, but it is going to be a big part of crypto's future. For those who don't know, Kane is the founder of Synthetics. If you haven't listened to the episode, but he's now working on something called Infinex, a front end that he's building that's going to leverage Synthetics protocol underneath. Essentially, he's like, we focused on supply for a long time in crypto focus on the supply of block space. We focus on supply of stakers. Um, now we have like DA layers, but we need to start focusing on demand. And where does demand go? Well, usually it's going to be in a front end or an aggregator. If you think about Web2, we have something like Google, something like Facebook. That's where everybody goes. And we've talked about this when we were talking about D2C companies that have their own website. Well, like 30% of their funds raised go to Facebook and Google because that's where the demand is and that's where they find their products. You're going to see a battle come into crypto that's going to actually focus on demand going forward and not just the supplies. Like Infinex, for example, they're trying to align themselves with Synthetics, the protocol underneath it. So the profit that Infinex makes, they're actually going to buy SNX, Synthetics token, and stake that. So in a way, if the front end does well, so does Synthetics. So you're going to have that community look at Infinex and be like, okay, they're building on top of our protocol. We should actually give them a small fee for directing traffic to us. And you're going to see more and more aggregators pop up who do that, who leverage the protocols underneath there. And those protocols are actually going to give them a small fee. But over time, I think then you'll see these protocols say, like, we should just have our own front end. We don't need to pay anybody else. Because like if they can establish that brand, they will do that. 
And then that reintroduces platform risk into crypto because you're going to be a developer who's like, oh, I love synthetics. I love Uniswap. I'm going to build a front end on top of it. And you're going to get in all these users. Uniswap will then see like, wow, this is a very successful business, high revenue margins. Why don't we just launch our own front end, right? So I think this is going to be an interesting battle because right now it's like the front ends in crypto are generally built by the teams that are behind the protocol. Um, we did have somebody, Matt Fiback is one of our analysts. He made an interesting point. He said like the front end of Uniswap is owned by Uniswap Labs, not the foundation. Um, also the wallet that's built is owned by Labs, not the foundation. So like how... How does this really happen when you're trying to align the protocol in the front end that's built on top? I just think it's really interesting. And to me, Kane is somebody that often sees around the corner. And that's why brand building, leveraging multiple protocols underneath and trying to abstract away the chain is a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think like a common theme in, in all of that is like there's, a, there's an event and then there's a reaction. And all that is to say, markets are very unpredictable things. Right. I think maybe the the overarching theme in all of these talks is that people think they know how the market will behave and they can predict it. Uh, and maybe they can sometimes. But obviously, if anybody could predict markets reliably, they would be the richest person to have ever lived. And so one thing is like the beautiful thing about free markets is people can make different choices and, and ideate and execute on those choices and then see what happens, learn, iterate. And that's how tech works, right? It's it's all about like you you have to be somewhat of an optimist, right? You have to believe that something different can work than what already is. And if we didn't have that, it would just be depressing, right? Like if Ethereum's way was like the only way possible, I think I'd be depressed, right? Mm -hmm. Like if people actually all believe that, it's like, well, then what's the fun in this? We can't, it's not a free market where we can try different things. Um, and and so not not to get too philosophical here, but that's kind of the illogic at the center of all of these crypto discourse uh, discussions, right? Which is that, um, can you hear that? Yeah, we got the cat in the background. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so uh, I was saying the one thing that I, I really uh, have noticed about this industry more than anything is the tremendous illogic at the center of, of this, all these different kind of uh, discussions or tribalism which is that nobody can actually predict markets, right? But everybody believes or acts like they can, right? I don't, I'm not behaving uh, like uh, uh, like Solana will be the only possible choice in the future. I think it has a very big role to play. And so I will do my best to build on it and and, and correct information asymmetry and whatnot and, and kind of put my work towards it. But that is not to say Ethereum won't work on some capacity or Cosmos won't work on any other capacity, right? That's a very strong claim. You can't just say my way is the only way that can possibly work. No other option is feasible. That's a ridiculous claim. And I don't think it's ever worked for anybody, uh, at least over a long time horizon, right? Maybe it works for like a year, right? Maybe you can safely say Solana will not take over Ethereum in the next year. Okay, that's fair. Can you say the same thing in 15 years? Nobody can know that. I can't know that. Vitalik can't know that. Nobody can know this. To, yeah, to yeah. add to that, though, it doesn't matter if, if it does. Like, if uh, Solana could be extremely successful and so could Ethereum. There's no doubt if crypto takes off, Ethereum's market share is going to go down. You talked about that earlier. Like, you can't have that dominant of a market share early on. Every time in tech and history, that's going to go down. But even if Ethereum, like, did have more users and more value transacted, that does not mean that Solana could not be extremely valuable and highly useful to the world. So I, I also think like that is an outcome that's possible. And if that happened, I guarantee you Anatoly would be happy about it. Yeah. 
and and uh, it's kind of like it's just always the same thing, which is that we have to like the fundamental problem is we don't have that many use cases with PMF and crypto, and so what do we we do, what do we do in the face of that? We explore the design space as much as humanly possible mm -hmm. and experiment while we still can and see what works, what doesn't, and just keep building, right? Because preemptively ruling stuff out such that you're not exploring alternative designs is kind of suicide when you already don't even have PMF for really anything. Um, and I see like some uh, maxis on certain corners saying like, uh, we shouldn't be wasting resources, right? We should pour, stop all capital going to Altal ones and only pour into Ethereum. It's like, that's totally missing the point, right? These are different markets. If they, if other people think these markets are feasible, they'll invest in them. That's it. I think uh, that coupled with like the media noise distortion that we've seen in the past few few days uh, and, and also like the lack of go to market from technical co-founders. I think these like, all are somewhat linked concepts that lead to our current state. And I think being slightly more aware of these issues and maybe trying consciously to, to maybe eliminate them in, in some way or like minimize their effect, I think could go a long way. Yeah. And Antonio was on the show and he talked about DYDX has more than 50% market share on on-chain derivatives. But they only have 1% of market share on derivatives when you compare it against like Binance, Coinbase, and these other firms. So you think about like DOIDX is one of the few products that we probably say has product market fit, but it only has 1% of the total market. So I think the experiment, more experimentation is great. And that's one reason like I don't, not really huge into the app chain thing. You know, I've said before, it's like 1,000 apps powered by crypto makes sense. 1,000 app chains, I don't know if it does. But DYDX experimenting and actually trying something like this to me is like really cool. But I am curious though, in this type of market right now, that's such a bear market and you have these teams that are applying and they're trying to come up with these new ideas. Do you have any sense like where that funding, like do we have a funding problem in crypto right now? Or do you think it's just an idea as an execution problem? Because right now I can't imagine investors are just like screaming to find these projects that are experimenting. It just depends on, I mean, obviously it's not like it was. Uh, like it's not a 0% interest rates type of markets where VCs are like, I don't need to know who you are. Take my money. Um, it's, 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 um, it's certainly tougher to get funding now, but it's not impossible. Right. And that's, that's kind of the important point, right? Like you, if you are a talented founder and you have a good plan or idea or execution, and most importantly, you have good traction, right? Anybody can say they have an idea, but if you're somebody who maybe had an idea, built an MVP, tested it out, maybe got like 10 paying customers or showed some traction. And then now you're saying, this is how I'm going to go to market and use this money to scale the business even more. Then you have a real shot, right? Like pre-seed to seed, I think is affected, but I don't think it's that affected. It's really the larger rounds, like the institutionalized rounds where people are like risk off, I would say, because I mean, first of all, they can just put money into T-bills, right? And get X amount of like I do that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a no brainer to do. Uh, but but um, if you're somebody who has ideas, who wants to build or shape the future in any way, you still have a ton of opportunities there, right? Uh, there's still things like Y Combinator. There's Andreessen Horowitz's startup school, uh, Variance uh, startup. I'm not sure what it's called, but startup program. Um, Eclipse just launched an accelerator. Helios itself. Uh, we're gonna. It's not gonna be like an investment one, but we're gonna give people credits to to build stuff. There's hackathons all the time. And so if you are a founder and you can, you have a good idea that you think people are overlooking and you can get some traction, any traction, it doesn't have to be a thousand dollars, right? 
it can just maybe you just went viral and you can kind of predictably go viral or whatever something something some traction people will give you money right it's just the stakes the the bar is higher now which is a good thing right uh which like and maybe it'll produce some false negatives but like the founder's journey is a very uh, tumultuous one where you generally get rejected quite a few times before anything actually happens and so um you know yeah, Mer- all that is to say yeah go ahead i was just gonna say on that i i'm curious just from what you've heard in the community you know we had tensor on i think like our third episode who has 50 percent market share plus right now with magic eden and they're they basically started fundraising right when i think the ftx implosion happened so the sentiment around uh, solana was an all-time low they talked about they got denied 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 because they were building on solana do you think that sentiment has changed somewhat more of a positive direction i would think like visa announcing that they're going to start using solana uh, for settlement would be a big part of that. Have you like heard that that sentiment's changed since when FTX imploded? Yes, it, and I can say this with absolute confidence, uh, at least from the VCs I talked to. Uh, everybody I've talked to uh, is is much more receptive to Solana than I think they were even last year before FTX, in my view. Right? I think Visa helps, uh, but I think people are also understanding that the EVM EVM is maybe over the next time a little bit, and and I think. Obviously, there's always kind of the types of VCs who just won't. But the, yeah. like one thing I'll, I'll tell founders is like you're never going to convince somebody who's not already convinced during the call, right? You're not going to sell them on Solana during the call. It's not going to happen unless it's like a traditional Web2 company who just doesn't own crypto at all. What you really want to do is it's kind of like a sales. You want to know people who first are receptive to the ideas to begin with. It's like a sales process. And then you just find those investors. And uh, what I can say is there's a ton of those out there and i would say actually more than there were before in my estimation and so visa has helped of course but i think people are also seeing that ftx did not kill the chain which was kind of a big concern in fact it's come out stronger and so if you're a founder and not looking to raise um first uh obviously uh I'll, I'll, i'm happy to review your deck but do try to get some traction of course that always makes everything easier and i'm happy to intro to vcs but uh, I would say that uh, the funding market is hard for all of tech right now, but I think if you are a founder in, in Solana or crypto and you have some traction, a good go-to-market, a good deck, a good idea, you'll find funding. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I'm excited about a breakpoint coming up where I, hopefully we hear from a lot of these new projects that are building in the space. Mer, I believe you're giving at least one talk. I'm sure you're probably giving like three to five. Yeah, I, uh, I especially asked them to not put me on anything, but I'm on like five things. So <laughs> you guys will have to hear more of me. Did you become the influencer of Solana? You can't help it. Um, is, there, is there anything else you, you think we should cover today? Um, no, I have, a, I have a meeting in five minutes anyways. We'll roll. Um, no, no rapid fire today. Um, I will say, guys, I think 70% of you listen, but don't subscribe. So if you actually like the show, <laughs> if you're a big fan... Return the favor, hit a subscribe, and uh, that'll help us make the show even better. We'll get bigger guests. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. we'd really appreciate it. So anyways, Mark, I think this was a lot of fun. This is our second roundup for anyone mm-hmm. that's new here. Uh, usually we have guest episodes on Tuesday and Thursday, but we will be doing this from time to time. So anyways, Mark, thanks for jumping on. Thank you, sir. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yep. We'll see you guys.